last class we saw that sri ramakrishna is having conversation with m and m just asked master that uh, that how this performing your duties uh, this master sri ramakrishna says that perform your duties in an unselfish spirit the work that vidyasagar is engaged in is very good always try to perform your duties without desiring any result so on hearing this, the master, the M, he uh, responded, yes, sir, but may I know if one can realize God while performing one's duties? Can Rama and desire coexist? The other day I read in a Hindi couplet, where Rama is, their desire cannot be. Where desire is, their Rama cannot be. So the Hindi couplet is of Tulasidas, Jaha Ram, Taha Nahi Kaam, Jaha Kaam, so this two cannot coexist. So in this, uh, uh, the master's response we find in accordance with the scripture, that it is not the work that entails our bondage. It is the desire behind the work. So that's the thing Sri Ramakrishna uh, was indicating. All without exception perform work even to chant the name of the glories of God, his work, as is the meditation of the non-dualist on I am he. Breathing is also an activity. There is no way of renouncing work altogether. So do your work, but surrender the result to God. So we find in the Bhagavad Gita, in the same lines it has been mentioned, naiva kinchit karomiti yukta manyeta tattvavit Pashyan srinvan sprishan jigran ashnan gachan swapan shashan pralapan visrijan grinhan unmishan nimishan api indriyanid indriyarthebhya vartanta itidharayan. So that all the accents, all the actions. So whether you're hearing, you're seeing, touching, smelling, moving, sleeping, so this all entails our existence. Without this, we cannot think to exist as a psychophysical entity. This has to be there. Seeing, hearing, touching, smelling, moving, sleeping, breathing, speaking, speaking, grasping, opening or closing your eyes. So these are the things which all entails karma. We cannot stay without karma. So with the light of the divine knowledge, they see that it is only the material senses that are moving amongst their objects. So what's the 
who is a yogi is not that they renounce the action. You cannot renounce action. In some way or other, the action will go on. So what, what they do, they practice the attitude of witness. They see the senses are interacting with the objects of the senses. And that entails our worldly existence. He knows, the yogi knows very well that he, the, his real essence of his being is in no way neither the matter nor the senses. They are interacting. He is just a witness. So with this attitude, he has to perform his actions. And then the actions won't bind him. So those who dedicate their actions to God, as has been mentioned in the Bhagavad Gita, that Brahmanyadhaya Karmani, Sangam Tyaktva Karotiya, Lipyate Nasapapena, Padma Patram Ivambhasa. So the one who has dedicated their actions to Brahman, to God, abandoning all attachment, remain unattached by sin, just as the lotus leaf is untouched by water. Though the lotus leaf is in water, the water can never drench it. It's as the lotus leaf is oily, the water, whenever the water is in it, it will just flow down. It will form some droplets and flow down. It can never in any way drench the leaf. And that's how we have to live in this samsara, just like a lotus leaf in the water. We be in the samsara, but let not samsara be in us. Just the way that lotus leaf is in water, but the water can never be in the lotus leaf. Similarly, we have to be in this samsara, but the samsara, the world, shouldn't be drenching us. So that's the idea. If we can do the action with that detachment, then the results, uh, we won't be bound by the results of it. And that renders our spiritual freedom. So that's the thing we found, Sri Ramakrishna, in line of the scriptures, just in the same tune of the scriptures, he's speaking the same thing. And then the aim asks, sir, may I make an effort to earn more money? So now the master again, as per the dictums of the scripture, how nicely is indicating, it is permissible to do so to maintain a religious family. You may try to increase your income, but in an honest way. So dharma should guide artha and karma. As we were indicating, even in the last class, that there are four purusharthas. It's not that, that we have to just think of liberation alone. It comes in the way. The hankering of the liberation cannot be forced in our life. As we go through the experiences of life, it comes as a natural course. Before that, before the renunciation dawns, before the yearning for liberation dawns in our life, the other two purusharthas, it's quite okay to resort to that, to pursue artha, to pursue for wealth, to pursue for the sunset pleasures of life. But they all have to be guided by dharma. So dharma is the first purushartha. That has to be the guiding force behind whatever I do. Then it's okay. So you may try to increase your income because it's a religious family. The family in the family when all are integrated, they're all following the path of dharma. To maintain such a family is itself a righteous job. So please go for it. There's no harm in maintaining the 
family, especially the family which is righteous, which is religious, that itself is serving a good purpose, religious purpose, spiritual purpose. So you are actually serving those who are trying to evolve spiritually in a religious family. So in every way it is okay and try to earn in an honest way. And always remember the goal of life is not earning of money. Though I earn money, but always this should be in my mind that with money, I can just take care of the basic necessities of life. I can just sustain myself. There its purpose ends. It can as Sri Ramakrishna in some other place has indicated that with money, what can I have? I can have a house, I can have food, I can have a shelter, nothing more than that. That the purpose of money is over. So it cannot take us beyond that. So that's the thing. It just helps us to sustain. That's not the goal of life. It is needed. But the goal of life is to, what you say, is to serve, is to serve the Lord and Lord alone. So the goal of life is not the earning of money, but the service of God. Money is not harmful if it is devoted to the service of God. So in a family, when I am just taking care of the family with an attitude that the Lord is manifested as the members of my family. And I am trying to serve them as, as if serving the Shiva in the Jiva. So then my even my worldly life becomes spiritual. So it is a question of changing of the orientation. It's in no way changing the course of our life. Just change the orientation. The spiritual life becomes a uh, is become a whole time affair. It is no more a part time affair. Spirituality can never be part time affair. It has to be a whole time affair. And for that, you have to change the attitude. And that's what Sri Ramakrishna is indicating. Let dharma guide the other Purusharthas, Artha and Kama, and with a sense of serving the Lord in the human beings, continue with what you are doing in your family. Don't try to force out of it. So that's the thing Sri Ramakrishna is advising M. M, how long should a man feel obliged to do his duty toward his wife and children? Master, as long as they feel pinched for food and clothing. But one need not take the responsibility of a son when he is able to support himself. When the young fledgling learns to pick its own food, its mother picks it if it comes to if it comes to her for food. So that's the thing. Even in our scriptures, it is mentioned, mentioned that uh, till the son or the becomes means in the olden days the daughters when they were given in marriage, when they were, when it goes, goes to the other's family, till then, the daughter has to be taken care of and son has to be taken care of till he becomes a, a fully matured person and he is quite skilled to earn his own living. So till then, take care of them. After that, you have no responsibilities. You're, you have your responsible. Now you can take care of your spiritual life. So that's the thing which has been indicated that you have taken, you have done your duties. Now you are free. Now you can devote your entire time for the, this, your spiritual endeavor 
for your spiritual journey. So, so that's the thing Sri Ramakrishna is indicating as long as they feel pinched for food and clothing. But one need not take the responsibility of his son when he's able to support himself. When the young fledgling learns to pick its own food, its mother picks it if it comes to her for food. M, how long must one do one's duty? Master, the blossom drops off when the fruit appears. One doesn't have to do one's duty after the attainment of God, nor does one feel like doing it then. So that's the thing Sri Ramakrishna is saying, that it's not some uh, uh, that years that uh, there can be an age of retirement. There cannot be an age of retirement as far as the spiritual life is concerned, that I retire and start my spiritual journey. Unless that urge has developed. The age is not the factor. The urge should develop. And the real urge, when it's developed, know it for certain, the work falls off by itself. I cannot force myself. It will fall off itself. And immediately after saying that, Sri Ramakrishna will give that example, that example which we quote now and then in our class. What he's saying, if a drunkard takes too much liquor, he cannot return consciousness. If he takes only two or three glasses, he can go on with his work. As you advance nearer and nearer to God, he will reduce your activities little by little. Have no fear. So it's a wonderful plan of the universe. The more you, go, you, are, you become dependent on God, you fully re rely on God, means your love for the divine have made you so much engrossed in the thought of divine that you cannot take care of your activities. Know it for certain. The plan of the universe is such the others will be there to take care of you. If your actions falls off naturally, just the way when the small child is born, it's not that we have to, it's our, that any government has to have make a legislation that yeah, that uh, the child has to be taken care of by the parents. Whether such legislation is there or not, we know that apart from a few human brutes, it's the natural urge for the parents to take care of the children. From where that urge come, the God has made that if the child who is totally helpless, for him, in even, even in the animal kingdom, we find that there is the love of the parents, the love of the others, who is immediately taking care of him. It has to be there. It just simply that love wells up. So similarly know it for certain, if anyone is totally absorbed in God and he so absorbed that he cannot take care of himself, the others will tend to take care of him just the way the parents naturally feel inclination to take care of that helpless child. It, it is going to happen. Throughout the, uh, our spiritual hi history, if you just study the history of all the spiritual uh, movements, everywhere we find that the religious, the one who is spiritually illumined, who is so engrossed with the divine that he cannot take care of himself, the entire world with its riches is as if ready to come and sacrifice at, uh, for that noble purpose. It, ha it happens in whether it is uh, Hinduism or Buddhism or Islam or Christianity, you will find that 
But for the spiritually illumined soul, the help do come. They need not have to ask for it. It just, there is, there is no need for advertisement, for marketing. That the, when you really become totally dependent on God, you have totally surrendered. You have become like a small child, helpless child. The Lord will take care of you, of all. So it's our human society. Actually, the Lord only takes care of us. In human society, we have developed this something called money. And we think that without money, we don't survive. Just think of all other animals, creatures. Who needs money? There is apart from human being, no one needs money. Are they not surviving? They are surviving. The plan of the universe is such. There is the means for sustenance for all. We human beings have made the civilization quite complicated. And now we're in such a situation that if money is not there, we cannot survive. So the Lord's plan of the universe is such. He's taking care of us. He, there is the mode for sustenance. So once you become dependent on Lord, he will take care of you. And for that, you need not have any fear. As you advance nearer and nearer to God, he will reduce your activities little by little. Have no fear. Finish the few duties you have at hand and then you will have peace. When the mistress of the house goes to bathe after finishing her cooking and other household duties, she won't come back. However, you may shout after her. Sri Ramakrishna, that wonderfully he gives this day-to-day life. Everything he's observing and for that becomes the example for all this the spiritual, spiritual aspects becomes that the, the examples come from our day-to-day life. How nicely he's saying that the lady of the house, the mistress of the house was busy throughout the day in the morning. He was taking care of all the activities, cooking, cleaning everything he was she was doing meticulously but when she feel, she feels that all the work is done now she is going to have a bath as she is going to take it deep in the village pond she is on the way to the pond uh, village pond or and someone calls her she even won't listen now her duties are over even however you may shout she is not going to come back what's the idea here that in our scriptures, they say that there are three types of karma. Prarabdha karma, Sanchita karma, Kriyamana karma. Because of our past actions, the, the, the ten, the, this, we have developed so many innumerable tendencies. They have to be fructified. So they are the all the Sanchita karma, the results of the actions in the past which are yet to be fructified are the Sanchita. The actions which I am doing at the present, they are the Kriyamana. And the results of the action which have started fructifying at present, that is the Prarabdha. So the scriptures say that I have no hand over the Prarabdha, that which has started, I have no control over it. But with the dawn of spiritual illumination, the Kriyamana, and the Sanchita Karma, they get exhausted. It means uh, they fall off. You need not have to expand them. That example, even in the last class, in the uh, Mundaka Upanishad class, we were giving that example in our scripture that a hunter went to the forest with a quiver on his back and a bow in his hand. And seeing a bird 
sitting in the branch of a tree. He took one arrow from his quiver and put it on his, and just kept it on his, this uh, bow and stretched the string of the bow and the arrow was released. He shot the arrow. And before the arrow have, is, going to, uh, is going to hit the target, the bird, he thinks most probably I may miss the arrow may not strike the bird. So what he does, he takes out the second arrow, keeps it on the bow. And when he's about to, about to shoot that arrow, suddenly that compassion dawns in him. No, 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 I shouldn't kill other animals. Now the scripture says a very interesting thing. The arrow which I have already shot, whether it hits the target or misses, whatever it may be, I have no control over it. It has already been shot. But the arrow which I have already kept on the bow, I, I may not release it and there is no need to release it. And all the arrows which are on the back on my quiver, they are also of no use. So once that compassion means once the spiritual illumination, the renunciation dawns in, the Sanchita Karma, they uh, need not be expended. The Kriyamana Karma, that can also stop. But the action which has already started taking effect means the arrow which is yet to hit the target. I have no control over it. So it has to be expended. It has to be exhausted. So here Sri Ramakrishna is saying that, that go on doing the work without any desire. Once the desire is cut off, the Kriyamana and the Sanchita Karma, they won't yield result. But the Prarabdha has to be expended. Once that is expended, now you are free. And that's being indicated by this word, that however now you may call, shout at her, she is not going to come back. She has exhausted. That when she was exhausting the Prarabdha, that speaks of all the duties she was doing. She was doing them without any desire. And that's how the Prarabdha was gradually being exhausted. And once it's exhausted, now there is no return. However, that it, it appeared that she's so attached to the household but actually she was just doing all the things in a detached manner. And when all has been exhausted, there is no return. Now she is going to be liberated. Now nothing can hold her back. And that's being indicated by Sri Ramakrishna. Finish your few duties. Because of your prarabdha, you have been placed in a situation where you have to go through all those processes. So finish them. Finish the duties you have in your hand. And then you will have peace. When the mistress of the house goes to bathe after finishing her cooking and other household duties, she won't come back. However, you may shout after her. So know it for certain that prarabdha, that we have to, that we have to experience. So do it without any this hankering for result and that we don't create new karma. And once that's exhausted, that will render you this freedom. Sri Ramakrishna was had a very nice way of exemplifying the scriptural truths. In some other place, he says that how prarabdha is something which we have to, which we have to experience. Like once he says that a blind, a, a blind person, man, most probably he's blind because of some past karma. So now this blind man goes to the Ganges to have a dip. So they say that if you have a dip in the Ganges, your sins, all your sins will be washed away. So Sri Ramakrishna, in a very funny manner, he says, the blind man goes, takes a dip and 
to wash away his sins. All the past sins are washed away. But the prarabdha, his blindness is the prarabdha that he has to experience. So even after when he comes back from uh, deep in the Ganges, his blindness won't go. That's still there. He has to experience. And though his so many past karmas has gone, it's not that by taking it deep in the Ganges, all your past karma will be gone. Just to take the real essence of this example, the idea is that there are ways by which I can get rid of all the Sanchita karma, what I have stored, what has been stored by me, but what I'm experiencing, the actions which has already taken, uh, started taking its result, that I have to go through. So that's the thing. So go through that, do your duties, finish the duties, and then there is no return. So how is that's the worst thing he's saying? That when the mistress of the house goes to bathe after finishing her cooking and other household duties, she won't come back. However, you may shout after her. M, sir, what is the meaning of the realization of God? What do you mean by God vision? What does one, how does one attain it? It's a very pertinent question. We say that God vision, God vision, what God's vision means? Is it just like seeing the way I'm seeing you and some other person? Or does it mean something else? So now we find the master's answer. According to the Vaishnavas, the aspirants and the seers of God may be divided into three groups. These are the Pravartaka, the Sadhaka, the Siddha and the Siddha of the Siddha. He who has just set foot on the path may be called a Pravartaka. Pravartaka is a novice. He has just started his journey. He may be called a sadhaka who has for some time been practicing spiritual disciplines such as worship, japa, meditation, and the chanting of God's names and glories. So he's a sadhaka. So he is an aspirant. He's practicing now. And then he may be called a siddha who has known from his experience that God exists. So now his Spiritual practice has taken him to the realization. He may be called a Siddha, a Siddha who has known from his inner experience that God exists. An analogy is given in Vedanta to explain this. The master of the house is asleep in a dark room. Someone is groping in the darkness to find him. He touches the couch and says, no, it is not he. He touches the window and says, No, it is not he. He touches the door and says, no, it is not he. This is known in Vedanta Vedanta as the process of neti, neti. Not this, not this. At last, his hand touches the master's body and he exclaims, here he is. In other words, he is now conscious of the existence of the master. So here we find that in a very simple way, Ramakrishna is speaking of the concept of the self behind the Panchakosha. That there are five levels of identification with something which we are not. We think we are the body. uh, But it is what? It it is constantly changing. I am not the body. It's that my sense of I, that amness, that never changes. I don't think that that the amness which I had as a small child is something different from the amnes which I have now. It's the same I who was the child, 
who is the grown adult person is the same eye. But what is that same eye? If I look at the body, is that body same? No, it has changed. But we identify ourselves with the body. So it is a wrong identification. It is not. We identify with the prana, the vitality. That's why we say, I am quite, uh, what you say, that's, uh, I'm full of energy today. I'm quite vibrant. Today I'm not feeling good. I'm sick. So what I am actually identifying myself with the vitality, with the prana, which is constantly changing. My amness is something which is fixed. That is not changing, but these feelings change. So that speaks that my amness, which is something constantly the same, is always the same, is being wrongly identified with something which is a flow. It can never be the body. It can never be the prana. It can never be the mano, the man, the mind, because we know the mind is also constantly changes with its vagaries of Kartum, akartum, anyatha kartum, sankalpa, vikalpa. Now we are planning one thing in one way. The next moment we just think it in other way. And that's how the mind is constantly jumping from thought to thought, wavering. That cannot be the amnes, which is always the same. It cannot be the vijnanamaya kosha. Vijnanam is the intellect. When all with the vagaries of the mind from this, all the sankalpa, vikalpa, all the resolutions and deliberations which we have from that we come to a conclusion we know in our life that so many that nishchatmaka buddhi is the our is that what give, gives us the sense of determination that's the buddhi and that's the the identification with that is the identification with the vijnanamaya kosha with the intellect that's also changing that cannot be the same as a small child i was very sure that if I have chocolates and toys, I will be the happiest person of life, man, uh, happiest person in the world. Do I think that way? So my buddhi has changed. This, it is not the same. The nishchayatmaka buddhi as a child, as I had, is not the same as I have as an adult. So it's changing. But the amnes behind it is the same. I don't feel the amnes as I had as a child is something different, which I have at now, at present. So we find all these levels of identification is wrong identification. They cannot be the real self. They're flowing. But the idea of the amnes, it's always the same. It's not flowing. So how can the things which are flowing be my amnes? They cannot be. So those are the things which I'm seeing is it's not me. It's not me. And last is the Anandamaya. What is the Anandamaya? Anandamaya speaks of bliss. When I am in deep sleep, it's not that my mind is vacant. My mind has all its tendencies, feelings in the potential form. They again will be revoked when I wake up. My decision-taking faculty, my all the options of the mind, they all will again be revoked when I wake up. When I'm in deep sleep, they're silent. And that silence of the mind gives a sense of bliss. That's why when I come out from the sleep, I say, oh, it was such a nice sleep. Not only that, when I have an intense desire and the moment it is fulfilled for the time being, the let go ensues, the mind is again in bliss. So this identification of the mind, that is not the self. It is the mind which is for the time being calm. Either it is in deep sleep or some desire has fulfilled and the let go has ensued. And from that, the bliss comes. It's the self which percolates 
the bliss of the self percolates through that calm mind. The same calm mind, when it was uh, having a lot of deliberations, it was the Manomaya Kosha. It came to some conclusion, it was the Vijnanamaya Kosha. And the same mind, when it is calm without any vagaries, just like the ocean without waves, it is the Anandamaya Kosha. But these are constantly changing. My amnes cannot be the thing, uh, uh, cannot be any of those. So those are the things which are speaks of that not this, not this, neti neti, that it cannot be. And at last, when you just get rid of all those things, is there nothing there? As Sri Ramakrishna used to say, is it something like peeling of the onion, layers after layers, at last there is nothing called core. So is there nothing called the self? So here, at last you find there is self. Who is the self? The one who is saying, that this is, I am not the body, I am not the mind, I am not the senses, I am not the feelings, I am not the emotions, I am not the intellectual uh, f- formations. I am not the one who is saying that. So he is the self. So as in the Panchadashi, there is a very nice story of the 10 villagers who were crossing the river. After crossing the river, they wanted to make sure that all are there because the river though it's shallow it's very strong the current is very strong so someone may be carried away by it to ensure that all have crossed the river safely they wanted to count that how many of them are there so one person took the duty of counting he told okay you all stand in line let me count so he counted it was nine one two three four five six seven eight nine and he was puzzled where is the ten everyone seems to be here but Count shows there are nine. So one by one, they all took the role of counting and they all found it's the nine people only there. And they were puzzled. They never knew that where the 10th one has gone. It seems all are there. A passerby saw that uh, what's going on. So he he just thought that let me help help these villagers out. Uh, He was really amused to see that this uh, the simple people, how they have got confused. So he came, he told, okay, one of the one of you are missing, but you don't know who's missing. Well, okay, let me count. You all stand in line. And now he counts and he is 10. So they were puzzled that, that when this person is counting, it's 10. When we are counting, it's nine. How is it? And then the stranger says, when you are counting, you forget that you have to point the finger toward yourself to be count the to, to be the 10th person so you are the 10th the one who is counting the one who is saying that you are not this you are not this he is the self so at last you touch the self that way by negating at last you are touching so this in a simple way sri ramakrishna is giving this example in a with, a, with some simple uh, other some uh, Example that example, let us just again read it. That what he's saying that an analogy is given in the Vedanta to explain this the master of the house is asleep in a dark room, someone is groping in the darkness to find him. He touches the couch and says, No, it is not he. He touches the window and says, No, it is not he. He touches the door and says, No, it is not he. This is known in the Vedanta as the process of neti neti. 
न इति न इति नॉट दिस नॉट दिस दैट्स न इति इन संधि बिकम्स नेति नेति सो एट लास्ट हिज हैंड टचेस द मास्टर्स बॉडी सो ही एट लास्ट टर्न्स टुवर्ड्स हिमसेल्फ दैट इज द विटनेस एंड ही एक्सक्लेम्स हियर ही इज इन अदर वर्ड्स ही इज नॉट कॉन्शियस ऑफ द एक्जिस्टेंस ऑफ द मास्टर सो थ्रू द प्रोसेस ऑफ नेति नेति एट लास्ट यू गेट एस्टैब्लिश्ड इन योर ओन सेल्फ सो श्री रामकृष्ण नाउ कंटिन्यूज हिज डिस्कशन ही हैज फाउंड हिम but he doesn't yet know him intimately so knowing intimately indicates the state of of a gyani who has realized that the lord has become everything so to know intimately so this is something sri ramakrishna's uh, um, uniqueness again and again he says that just going to uh, that identification with the self is not the ultimate when you come back and see it is the self which is projecting in the universe that's the state of vigyani that's the ultimate react that's to know the lord what you say intimately why intimately because when i say not this not this and say that i have to be identified with the lord i somehow am denying the fact it is the lord i don't know what's the purpose that god is larger than life it is beyond our uh, what you say that our concept beyond our uh, comprehension to know the purpose of creation but the creation did happen the creation is there how even if i say that agyana that because of ignorance i am seeing it but why it has happened why the lord though he has not changed but because of ignorance it is appearing as the universe why it has happened so i i totally deny that i totally deny deny that aspect and just try to merge in the absolute and so that is just a partial understanding the real understanding will be after merging you come from that state to realize that it is he who has become everything so that's why in vishishta dvaita this that uh, neti neti is being described as uh, not only this not only this means when 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 uh, i from samadhi i come back and i see the old world now i am sure that this entire creation is nothing but the projection of the divine but i at the same time i don't i also know that god cannot be limited by my perception just to give an example the white light when it is passing through the prism it breaks into the spectrum of seven colors i say there are seven colors what what the what these seven colors actually are it's a white light the white light is being projected as the seven colors now if i say that it is a white light which has been projected only as the seven colors again i will be doing a big mistake there are so many bands in the ultraviolet infinite bands in the ultraviolet zone beyond the ultra, beyond violet which i cannot see it is there my perception is limited from red to violet is vidya but there is ultraviolet bands which i cannot see there are infrared bands which i cannot see so the lord when he is projecting as the universe it is infinite science with all its attempt to find the end of the universe whenever they are just uh, in search of some stars and galaxies thinking that most probably that's the end they find something still beyond still beyond that's how this it's still going on 
every time you find that the science is speaking of the this the the stellar bodies still behind what we were find what we have found today with more advanced telescope we can see still further still further all this advancements is happening we don't know where the where it is really has uh, ended this infinite expanse so so that's the thing this that is the thing which is no to know it intimately that the lord has that it is the same lord who is that absolute reality when he projects itself what i see is just uh, one uh, means uh, there uh, means uh, what you said if there are four parts there's one part is this the other three parts is beyond my purview is i cannot even see it so to know the lords uh, in that way that it is that it is the same lord who is projecting as the universe is the state of vigyana and that's the what is being indicated as knowing the lord intimately there is another type known as the siddha of the siddha the supremely perfect it is quite a different thing when one talks to the master intimately when one knows god very intimately through love and devotion a siddha has undoubtedly attained god but the supremely perfect has known god very intimately so the one who has known god he or her tendency is always to be merged in the divine in no way to he has the courage to have an uh, what you say this have a play with his creation to come down from his realization and to just interact with the world he doesn't have the courage but the one who is a vigyani he knows nothing can affect him he can come down from his realization and again relate to the world knowing very well nothing can lure him now so he is the siddha of the siddha as swami vivekananda said that once you know the nature of the mirage however thirsty you may be you won't chase after that huge reservoir which you see as the mirage now you are fully convinced oh that's just a mere projection before you have realized that you will be chasing the mirage but once you have realized you are not going to chase the mirage it falls off automatically so that's the state of vigyani who lives in the world without being attached he is a paramahansa so he has known god intimately the others are full of fear that this world is going to destroy me i have to cling to the lord so that's he is yet to know that is the lord who is being projected as the universe and if once he knows that this lord this universe in no way can affect him he can just interact with the creation spontaneously without being attached to it so that's knowing intimately but in order to realize god one must assume one of these attitudes so this is very important it is not just intellectually knowing that i am the self everything is just mere projection this is just an intellectual understanding it will it can never take us to the realization for realization bhakti is required whether i am a gyani or a bhakta without bhakti there cannot be real spiritual evolution i have to love my ideal so intimately that that love will entail in spontaneous concentration as we have previously mentioned that contemplation 
is not something which speaks of our willpower. Yes, at the beginning, when I'm yet to develop love for the chosen, my, my chosen ideal, is a willpower with which I sit for meditation. I use my willpower not to get distracted. But through that process, when gradually, that we spoke of the neuroplasticity, when the mind has developed a path through repeated practice, now the love for the practice, the devotion for the practice entails. And that love will result in a flow. The object which I, am, which I love, I'm focused to it. And that focus helps me to get rid of all other distractions and just remain focused in it. The mind automatically uh, gets rid of all other distractions. At last, it gets rid when the mind is intensely focused that the little part of my mind, the small part of mind is always engaged to keep my ego intact. That also is taken away. And when that even ego falls off, the mind cannot stand. The mind collapses for the time being to take you to the realization where the prism has fallen off. The projection is no more there. You become one with the white light. You become one with the consciousness. So it happens through love. The love can result in that intense focus. It can never happen just by uh, contemplating with using my willpower. That love has to come to make my contemplation intense. Without love, without that emotional faculty, we can never have concentration. You will find that only the concentration becomes effective only when we are passionate about something. So here also in spiritual life, you have to be passionate about the ideal. So the easiest way to become that we have some emotions. Already we have some uh, uh, few types of emotions. Some broadly defined, there are a few types of emotions. If I can love the divine by identifying with any of those emotions, then the chance of my mind to get intensely focused is something very, very high. It will be spontaneous. So try to love the divine with the emotions which you know, which is already with you. What are those emotions? This has been discussed as Shanta, Dasya, Sakya, Vatsalya, Madhur. Shanta. Shanta means where there is not exuberance in the emotion. That when, when uh, as Sri Ramakrishna will give you an example, they married couple. They're married for quite a long time. They have that mutual understanding, mutual faith, but the initial exuberance of the love that has faded away. They are faithful to each other. They are. They have a sense of love for each other, but that is very something uh, calming. It doesn't uh, um, make you uh, what you say that tremendously uh, uh, that the sense of tremendous attachment, the tremendous emotion when it uh, which we find for a new lover that. Uh, that is not that that is not there anymore. So there is love, which speaks of understanding, which speaks of calmness. So that's the shanta. So that's the emotion which we feel. That sometimes when we are in the office with the colleagues, the when we relate with our that what how we are relating, there is no intense love. We do have a sense of love. We do have a sense of well-being for each other, 
but it gives me a sense of security it gives me a sense of satisfaction but it doesn't creates any sort of exuberance so that's the initial type of emotion which we all experience in our life when you are relating to your the so called colleagues or in school your friends that's the shanta and then comes dasya the love of a dedicated servant towards its master the servant do have some love for the master if there's a nice relation so that also type of emotion works in the office if the boss if you have a very nice understanding with the boss there's there it love works there also sense of love uh, works that my love for the superior so that's the dasya that's the emotion we all are aware of the santa we are aware of dasya we are sakya with the friends intimate friends that's where we for we seeing the friend we feel it so joyous we feel like uh, just relating everything to them that's in dasya there is a fear factor working though i have love for my superior i know that he may be angry with me i may lose my job so there is a fear factor in sakya there is no fear the fear factor is gone so all this speaks of more and more intense love which we experience in our life sakya and then vatsalya there is no expectation that when the mother loves the child there is no expectation in sakya there may be little expectation i do for my friend but i expect something but the mother has nothing to expect from the child small child there is no fear there is no expectation also and last is the madhur the more intense love there's the a lover the way that a new lover fulfills for the beloved that's the madhur so these are the emotions which we experience in life it's from this from shanta to madhur is gradually more and more intense that compared to shanta dasya is more intense compared to dasya sakya is more intense compared to sakya vatsalya is more intense and the most intense is the madhur madhur is the conglomeration of all the other emotions so these are the attitudes if we have towards a chosen ideal then the focus becomes more and more intense so i am adopting the human emotions for my uh, spiritual path so that the contemplation the focus becomes more and more intense and that will enter in into that flow which can take us beyond the mind to establish us in what we are in the self so it is not just the mere knowledge that i am the self and this world is jagat uh, mithya brahma satya is however i may repeat it is just a mere conceptual knowledge if this knowledge has not became a process of contemplation that uh, for a gyani that when he contemplates that i am brahman that also creates a type of devotion and that devotion enters in that bhakti that that devotion that bhakti enters in intense absorption taking him to the realization by going beyond the mind this is spiritual life uh, is something which speaks of the mysticism you have to be a mystic to go to that realization and then only you are a spiritually illumined person not before that so after saying that Uh, that uh, what are the various classes of this uh, spiritual aspirants pravartaka sadhaka siddha and siddha siddha so now he is just saying that the only way 
to reach that the highest rung of the ladder, you have to have devotion. And that devotion has to be practiced gradually uh, through this process of Shanta, Dashya, Sakya, Vatsalya and Madhu. It has to be gradually, it has to gradually uh, uh, become more and more intense by following the emotions which we know in, in worldly sense. That has to be directed in the spiritual in the spiritual domain, and that can take us to the realization. And now Sri Ramakrishna will be explaining each of these uh, uh, this, uh, these attitudes, the Shanta, Dashya, Sakya, Vatsalya, and Madhu, uh, to give us an idea that what this, uh, this type of uh, devotion speaks of. Shanta is a serene attitude. The rishis of olden times had this attitude towards God. They did not desire any worldly enjoyment. It is like the single-minded devotion of a wife to her husband. So what it speaks of, when the husband and the wife has the mutual faith, the distractions of the world fall off. They are now uh, committed to that relationship. Though that that relationship, it doesn't create a tremendous exuberance of emotion, but the faith, the mutual faith helps them to get rid of all the worldly distractions. Because any distraction is there immediately. They know that I have to be faithful to this relation. So that's the Shanta. That's the Shanta thing. It is like a single-minded devotion of a wife to her husband. She knows that her husband is the embodiment of beauty and love, a veritable mother. So that's the Shanta. Dasya, the attitude of a servant towards his master. Hanuman had this attitude towards Rama. He felt the strength of a lion when he worked for Rama. A wife feels this attitude also. She serves her husband with all her heart and soul. A mother also has a little of this attitude as Yashoda had towards Krishna. That it's common, you know that even in in the house, uh, uh, that the child, sometimes you will find it is the child is the king. A little, just it cries immediately. The parents are concerned. They're always ready to, as if, uh, means, uh, make the small child's desires fulfilled. Though he cannot express, they try to interpret that he's, uh, what do you say, this is anguish. And immediately they are extremely busy to fulfill. So that Dasya is also there in. Uh, that the uh, attitude of a servant towards their master is there even in the parents. That's why they say that the small child is the king of the house. And Swami Vivekananda interestingly is to say that my idea of a leader is just like a small child. He doesn't dictate anything, but all his wishes are immediately fulfilled. People are there ready just to, as if obey the just obey whatever is wanted. He doesn't have to ask for, just, uh, just by interpreting his the child's uh, anxieties and emotions, the parents are always ready to serve him. So that's the best way, uh, the best type of leadership, Swamiji in one place is saying. So here you will understand, a mother also has a little of this attitude, the da, this dasya, as Yashoda had toward Krishna. Sakya, the attitude of friendship. Friends say to one another, come here and sit near me. Sridama and other friends sometimes fed Krishna with fruit, part of which they have already eaten and sometimes climbed on his shoulders. So the fear factor has gone. 
the love this love with the friends is something more intense in dasya the fear still remains but the fear has gone as swami vivekananda in one of the lectures have indicated that real parabhakti has three are the three uh, points of a triangle are the three points of a triangle one one of the point is the real love knows no fear that second point is it knows a, a, no bargaining there is no expectation and the third is that there is no contender but the object of your love is uh, so intense that it can never be in any way diversified to some others as even in the bible it is mentioned that god god is the most jealous he's the god is jealous means if he finds that your a portion of your love is there for something else he will never respond to your love so you have to be fully one pointedly loving the divine so that the love needs no that that, that the love knows no contender there shouldn't be any expectation and there shouldn't be any fear these are the three triangles and that's we start finding in our higher emotions like in friend the fear factor has gone in vatsalya the expectation will be gone vatsalya the attitude of a mother towards a child this was yashoda's attitude towards krishna the wife too has a little of this she feeds her husband with her very life blood as it were the mother feels happy only when the child has eaten to his heart's content yashoda would roam about with butter in her hand in order to feed krishna there is no expectation that love has no fear that there is the, uh, the parents have no fear uh, uh, in their relation with the child and there is also no expectation so that's a more intense love the last is the madhur the attitude of a woman toward her paramar radha had this attitude towards krishna means it's a relation where the society doesn't sub, uh, is uh, they never allow that that it is that such relation is not accepted by the society and that gives a tremendous force you feel love for someone which is not as if accepted and that gives a tremendous intense love so it speaks that even you in the spiritual journey that what when you become more and more religious your way of life is not accepted by the others but that actually increases the force of your devotion that when you find others are trying to make you behave the way the world behaves you find the urge is increasing still more because of all those hindrances as it happens of a woman when he is in love with a paramar so that's the madhu which speaks of the intense love in the worldly sense i cannot think of any love as intense as the love of a woman for his power paramar or any illicit love which you have to hide that gives tremendous force that type of love you have to have for the divine radha had this attitude towards krishna a wife also feels it for her husband this attitude includes all the other four that's why it is so intense in madhur bhava you will find the attitude of the wife towards the husband that is there the wife uh, the attitude of a parent towards the child that is also there sometimes you feel like just to serve the one your beloved you are as if the servant and of course you are some you are you always feel like friend you can relate anything and you feel the tremendous intensity that so all the bhavas are 
is conglomerate is a conglomeration is madhuru bhava is a conglomeration of all the bhavas and that's why it's so intense so what it speaks of gradually that your love for the divine it's not love for the concept in which you contemplate that has to become more and intense it is not just superficial superficially thinking of it and thinking that i have understood all it is a tremendous love for the ideal that at last will take you to the state of samadhi where even the mind falls off as if it helps you to identify with the core of your being where you can say yes i have touched the divine I have touched his feet now nothing is there to fear so it is possible only through this type of uh, love and these loves all this love speaks of worldly love but when we are orienting it to the divine the same intensity can take us to that ultimate realization and resulting in the spiritual illumination which has been spoken of as a state of the siddha siddha the highest state so now the master will ask when one sees god does one see him with these eyes so we will take up this portion again so yes he has spoken of realization but what that realization is is it just something like perceiving with ours this five senses so that's his question so master's answer we will find again is very interesting so we will take up that portion again in the next class so with this we stop our discussion today thank you all namaskar